Vikings. That's interesting. Am I still coming clear to you, wildcard? Okay, I was getting a very distorted, very distorted thing. That's been happening for, as long as it happens on that end, I don't care. Anyway. And just, that's the drama of live radio, people. Good morning. GS Plumbing Talk line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page. And I've got a few podcasts available to you wherever podcasts are found. Gun Owners News Hour, Lock and Load, and of course, Straight Talk. Our president, the resident, he got out there uh, and finally said something to condemn the Hamas terrorists that slaughtered innocent Jews in Israel. So now we have the answer to the question about how long it takes them to run a focus group to see which side of the war will help them win the most votes in the upcoming election. So, and and here's the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing about Israel. Israel, when they gave back the Sinai to Egypt, they did that freely because they made a, you know, it was in the 70s, Carter was there, and they, they signed a peace agreement, you know? Anwar Sadat, I don't remember who the uh, Israeli prime minister was, but Anwar Sadat of Egypt signed a peace agreement through the, and uh, I, I don't think it was Rabin, Menachem Begin, he was the prime minister. So they signed a peace agreement, and, and they gave them, they gave them the Sinai, which is full of oil, full of oil. Just gave it back to him. All they want to do is live. That's it. And see, Hamas, and we'll talk about this later, two times Hamas has put together what they call the covenant, their goals, their aims, and everything else. And both times, uh, they do it euphemistically in the second one. But in the first one, it's very black and white. And it has primarily to do with the fact that they just think they should all be exterminated. Now, for the first three days after this happened, the Democrats were in solidarity with their terrorist brothers. And you know what? If you are cheering for the terrorists, <laughs> uh, you're probably a terrorist. When I was watching the BLM Antifa riots, I realized that we have terrorists here amongst our, you know, amongst our people. So I was watching the committed goons toss firebombs at police officers. But there's this other thing that goes along with this. While you're looking at the actual perpetrator, look at the people around them, the young college-age men and women standing around watching the terrorists throw their Molotov cocktail. Those people didn't care. Maybe they were taken off guard by the attempted murder happening right next to them. There's a lot of ambiguity, you know, to, to consider when you're out there trying to pull this in. But there isn't really. So they may not have thrown the Molotov cocktails or rocks themselves, but when the, you know, the second the weapon comes out, the second you understand that you're in a hostile area, the smart and prudent thing to do is to get out of it. And if you don't, guess what? That makes you complicit. This is not a photo op thing. This is not where you pull out your phone and start filming. 
Because the police are being attacked. Or whoever's being attacked. Whoever it is. If they're lobbing a Molotov cocktail at somebody, you could reasonably expect that somebody to send some outgoing fire the way of, you know, towards the Molotov cocktail tosser. And if you're standing there, you're going, cool, groovy. Let me film this. I'm going to put it on Facebook. Cool. Uh, if you get hit by rounds because you're in the vicinity of the Molotov cocktail tosser, well, guess what? Now, I felt, I felt the same way. I felt that way about Antifa and the people around Antifa, and I feel the same way about the mutants and the militants celebrating what happened in Israel. The Democrats felt compelled to march and chant in favor of the murderers. They waved flags and called for more death, and they justified the killing because they say Palestinians, Palestinians are oppressed. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be, there would be no action against them if they would just stop doing things, stop trying to kill people. Israel doesn't have any interest in them. If they just stopped trying to kill Israelis, they could run their own lives however they like. But they're incapable of that. They can't do it. They are completely brainwashed by corrupt leaders like the ones we have here who are looting their treasury while blaming the Jews for the suffering they're causing. Yasser Arafat died a billionaire. How? You think it was because he was a good-looking guy? Go If you've never seen Yasser Arafat, go check him out. Go look him up. And the current terrorists, they took notes. They, they actually go back and look at history. And they're not, they're not going hungry. And as a distraction, while they rape and pillage, they blame the Jews. And I'm not Jewish. I, I, I don't. I, you know what? In, in, in terms of the whatever the heritage is or whatever the religious part of it is, I don't have a dog in that fight. But because of ID politics, these guys have been lumped into a category because of a common commonality they have, and they're the Jews, so they're targets. And the heirs of the allies of Hitler still remember what they learned from him about the power of scapegoating. You can do anything. You can rip off and oppress anybody as long as you give the people you're scamming somebody else to hate or blame more. That's the business model of Black Lives Matter. BLM has pledged their loyalty to Hamas because A, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the black community no one wants to talk about. B, BLM leadership learned from Arafat how to get rich on behalf of the poor. Name one person not involved with BLM that BLM helped. Organizers got rich. The people they claimed to care about got nothing. BLM stands in solidarity with terrorists because they are terrorists as well. They try to inflict terror in your heart in the hope of inspiring attacks like we saw last Saturday. And they wrote in a statement, we must stand unwaveringly on the side of the oppressed when a people have been subject to decades of apartheid and unimaginable violence. Their resistance must not be condemned but understood as a desperate act of self-defense. It's not self-defense if you instigate. And all that is is a recruitment message for people to repeat the actions of Hamas here. They're not interested, BLM is not interested in the murder of black people by black people. They don't even talk about it. 
Truth is, you're more likely to be victimized by someone in your general vicinity. So if you live in a black neighborhood and you're black, well, then it's probably going to be black. If you live in a white neighborhood and you're white, then it's probably going to be white. But we don't hear about that simply because that doesn't fit the narrative. And if you're black, your odds of being a victim are significantly higher because the so-called leaders are busy chasing something that rarely happens and they ignore what frequently happens. Now, most murder victims are white, but just barely. When you just, uh, for population percentage, black people are slaughtered at the U.S. in an unmatched rate. Population here is 59% white, 12% black uh, of the murder, murder victims, 3,299 white victims, 2,906 black victims in 2019. Why do they take to the street to cheer for the murder of Jews while we've got plenty of Americans being killed right here? And it's in a place where they have complete power. And it's the same reason Hamas leadership blames Jews for everything, which is the same reason the guy running the three-card money game in Times Square never stops talking. It's all distraction. When you see the when you see a spokesperson for BLM or for Hamas, what you're seeing is David Blaine. You're seeing an illusionist. You're seeing uh, David Copperfield. They're magicians. They're distracting you. And it's always about money. They're either stealing it or trying to raise it. And what they aren't trying to do is to fix anything. So when the blood comes here, and it's going to, there is no other end game for what the left has been preaching. It will be on the hands of the Democrats. Pay attention. Pay attention. Because they want the same thing that happened there to happen here. I'll explain when we get back. This is News Talk 98.9. W-O-R-D. Sure, I'm pressing all the buttons I got to press. Sometimes I forget to press the buttons. I get so excited because I'm here on this 100,000 watt signal. Which makes me right now the all-master being of time, space, and dimension. Uh, the GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, if that is your cup of tea. And podcasts. Well, I, you know, straight talk is out there. Yesterday, for, or for today's uh, lock and load in hour number two. I'm actually speaking with Bob Keller, who is a special forces, former special forces operator, who is still tied into it. And we talk about what might be going on with those boots on the ground and Gaza, if that interests you. So that's available on the free Odyssey app. Hour number two, lock and load. Now, you have to understand that our foreign and domestic enemies. They support what's going on right now. They have always supported it. If you want, I mean, go look at some of these Antifa attacks and look at the frenzy that it comes with it when when this mob gets out of control. And you'll see the same thing that's happening in uh, Israel and Gaza right now, or it happened. Um, 
And it's very much about, you know, it's about killing, it's about hurting, it's about raping. You'll hear them talk about the consequences of colonization, which I talked yesterday about how that does, that's not a thing. Or they'll complain that Israel has defended itself, you know, and, you know, uh, yes, they, and this time, I, I don't think there's going to be a next time for Hamas. I'll be honest with you. I don't think there's going to be a next time. They are normalizing mass atrocities by their purported allies against their actual enemies. There's a reason that they believe in polygamy, by the way. They believe in polygamy because they expect their male children to go off and martyr themselves. So you got to have a lot of them to perpetuate the race. Being a martyr, if you can't kill them, they would rather die. And they, they make no distinction at all between men, women, and children, combatants and non-combatants. Right here in the United States, it's just me, you, and, and, and your kids. To, to deny that, you are empowering a monster. And you cannot appease them. You can't appeal to their morality. You can't point out facts or argue in good faith because you're just going to lose. You're going to fail. All that matters to our enemies, the ones that are here and the ones that are there, is that we suffer and die. We suffer for their pleasure. We die because that's just what they got to have. Nothing less is going to satisfy them. They want you dead. Horribly dead. Your family? This bothering you? Does the truth scare you? You can try to deny this, but you're only fooling yourself. And you're probably not even fooling yourself. If you have to tell yourself, no, this isn't really a thing, then you're not fooling yourself. You're, <laughs> you're, you're in deep trouble. So how do you know this? Well, go look on social media. Where the fellow travelers of the brave warriors who take on the unarmed women and children cheer on the atrocities. What do you think they mean by decolonization? They mean somebody died. They mean they killed somebody. Why do you think that Soros DAs free rapists and murderers? Why do you think they only pursue their political enemies or those who use self-defense to protect themselves? Why do you think they want to disarm us every time somebody, you know, sneezes? Uh, we're not we're not killing people, and they don't care about the people who actually are killing people. Their biggest thing is they want to, one, see that we don't have the means to protect ourselves. Two, they want to make sure that we get killed. They don't want to see cops. They don't want the legal system, and they certainly don't want us armed. There's only one possible conclusion for anybody who's not in willful denial. And, you know, if, if you still don't believe me, go look at the videos of these guys, how much fun they were having, how giddy they are with the savagery. Some of you right now are near a 20-something female. She's 20-something. Uh, she's, you know, she's probably working with you or something. Just imagine a bunch of people grabbing her just to tear at her, to pull her apart, to, to, to desecrate her, and then parade her around naked. That's what they would want to do to her. 
And just because, you know, you're not a female, that doesn't mean you get excluded. You just don't, uh, you know, it's probably faster. As long as you're defenseless. You got to be defenseless because that's only, that's the only way they consistent be consistent about wanting you dead, you know. And the problem here in the United States is that, un, you know, I, I did not realize how bad it was in Israel, but we are armed. And disarming us is a logistical impossibility. There's a lot of guys that say, well, they could freeze your bank account and they could do this and they could do that. They could, but that still doesn't physically disarm you. It just depends on how far you're willing to go with that. And then there's this whole thing with what would the states do in this particular case if they started playing these little games and everything. And I kind of think that would go bad right now for, for the federal government. Now, I talked about that young female that had 12 people and she fought a little more than two dozen terrorists. And after she killed two dozen terrorists, they started going around her kibbutz because it wasn't paying to attack them because they clearly had their stuff wiretapped. And my understanding is that other kibbutzes were also similarly armed, but it just it depends on how they reacted and who was in it and everything else. But, you know, somebody getting out there, I, I've made this contention many times. I used to have two sponsors on Lock and Load. Pipe Headers Union, which is a t-shirt company, and uh, Spikes Tactical. I still have Spikes Tactical. And they put out a poster back in 20-something or other. It, it got national attention where you, you, you've got like five guys who are legitimate pipe hitters who are ex-military. They're, they're vested up, they, they, they're armed up, and they're just standing there facing a howling mob in the poster. And above it, it says, Not Today, Antifa. See, the, the formula is this. Terrorists have to have you defenseless. And then if you fight back, then they want, a, they want a truce because they know they can't beat you if you're armed. So they're willing to give a truce and just wait for you not to be armed or wait for you to be in a, in a moment of vulnerability. Then they'll kill you. They're willing to wait to cut your head off. They hope to, to repeat the monstrosity against us, the colonizers. And the initial means is to defund the cops, prevent any prosecution of criminal acts, and all of these attempts to disarm us. And what is the end state you want if you wish rapists and murderers be wandering free? Maybe more rape and murder? Because it's not a recipe for less. We saw this in South Africa. They had a chance for reconciliation, and now they're in encouraging a bloody pogrom against the remaining settlers, most of whom had family settled there 150 more years ago. So every time we see a chance to walk away from this, we seem not to walk away. When we get back, we're going to talk a little social justice from an unlikely source for me, just because I don't like her. <laughs> This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right. There's some sources I like to go to, and there's some that I just don't like. So most of the time, I don't even go to them. And Ann Coulter is one I just don't like. I don't like her. <laughs> 
Um, I find her a little aloof, but this was a this is a good uh, this is a good point out. This is a good uh, this tells you that she's one of these investigative people, and um, you know, I just have a few problems with the way she does things. That's all. She's talking about this idea, this ideology, where at all costs they have to reunite helpless children with their psychotic parents. And she talks about a headline she saw. Judge lets abusive parents keep daughter days later she was dead. This is the story of Ella Vitalis, daughter of Johnson Vitalis and Lafayette Brown. And even under any circumstances, even if they were the last people on earth, they should not have been in charge of this child. Ella came to the attention of the authorities when she was three weeks old and police responded to a domestic violence call. They found her with two broken ankles, a fractured skull, and a brain hemorrhage. What kind of animal does that to a three-week-old baby? This, this is the kind of animal. Yeah. yeah. And the parents, of course, they said, don't know. How did that happen? We don't know either. So they... Child welfare authorities took Ella and her one-year-old brother Liam in foster care with their grandmother. And a month later, Ella's father was left alone with her during a child visitation, and in that short amount of time, he managed to slice the little girl's tongue with a sharp object, requiring her to be fed intravenously for six days. This is Hannibal Lecter's stuff here. And Ella's parents had spent a total of three weeks and a few hours with her, during which time she ended up with multiple broken bones, a brain hemorrhage, and a bloody mangled tongue. Which is not the way a three-week-old is supposed to come into the world. So when family court judge and de Blasio appointee Eric S. Pitchell was assigned Ella's case, he ordered the children to be reunited with their parents. Happy days. The family is reunited. Let the confetti fall from the ceiling. So, they get their daughter back, and over the next month, her parents managed to avoid sending her to the hospital, but when they finally had to go look at her, by, judging by the cuts and bruises found on her body in September, it was not from lack of trying. The parents blew off five follow-up appointments with child wel welfare specialists, so after that, the, at number five, the, the caseworkers returned to court and, and asked Judge Pitchell to remove the children, and he denied the request. Now, maybe what sh they should have said is that they figured out that Ella wanted to be, uh, tr she was trans, because they would have sw swooped in and taken her out right away. They, well, listen, the, the listen, uh, Mr. Vitalis doesn't want his daughter to be trans. What? Let's go get her. we got to save her before she commits suicide. The next day, her parents delivered the fatal blow, and they struck Ella's head with a blunt object, which left her unresponsive. When the authorities got there, and they looked at her little busted-up body, uh, they told her it was because she drank too much milk. And after five days on life support, she died. How many, how many of those, I mean, you know, <laughs> I have, 
I have two sons, a daughter, two granddaughters, and a grandson. I have held six babies in my life that share my DNA. And uh, I cannot imagine what kind of a sick, twisted individual looks at a baby and thinks, oh, this will be the receptor of my rage. What kind of person cuts a baby's tongue? What kind of person hits their baby in the head to kill them? This is all about uh, some obsession with keeping families together, which is another zany progressive cause. Now, Gladys Carrion, a former child services commissioner and a senior fellow at the Columbia Justice Lab, and apparently a world-renowned expert when it comes to circling those wagons, said this is not an exact science. Well, it's not science at all. If an adult hits a baby, you don't have to have a degree to figure out that's wrong. Part of the reason is that these uh, these leftists, these godless leftists, they dismiss religion as a bunch of hocus-pocus. And, you know, there there is some supernatural connection to this. I think this is, I'm being asked where this was. I think this is in New York, if I'm not mistaken. It came out of the New York Times. And the judge was a de Blasio appointee, so yeah, New York City. Now, <laughs> they also want to, uh, they also want to, uh, they want to repeal a law. They want to change the child welfare system, including the repeal of the 1997 child safety law. And, uh, you know, Here's a portion of before the child safety law, the things that would have been stopped by this. There's Alice, a little two-year-old who had to have stitches because she had been raped. Kathy, two-year-old, came with gonorrhea of the throat. Pam, who at 15 months of age suffered from venereal warts. She had been sexually abused by her mother's boyfriend and needed surgery because of it. Surgery was scheduled, but before it took place, she was discharged to her mother and right back in the same situation. A two-month-old, force-fed, fatal amounts of Epsom salts and liquid antacids. Five-month-old, scalded to death. That means you have to grab the, a baby and stick it in scalding water and hold it there. One-year-old, beaten with a shoe heel. Two-year-old, severely beaten after bedwetting. An eight-year-old, stabbed in the heart. You know, I would volunteer to uh, met out the justice to these people. The fact that they've been allowed to operate is, tells me something's wrong here. Well, Steve Scalise has won the nomination to be Speaker. Let's do a little requiem on that one, shall we? This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Well, in the House, they have voted on who they want to be the next speaker. 
Let the party begin. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. I am uh, streaming the show live on the WORD Facebook page, and it's available as a podcast everywhere good podcasts are. We got Steve Scalise. He has won the nomination for speaker with a very slim uh, margin over Jordan, about a 14-vote difference. It's not exactly, you know, that's not exactly Christmas, to be honest with you, when it comes to uh, getting voted in here. So, I'd like to know what my, Matt Gates thinks about this, because this is the guy who started the circus, right? This is the ringleader right now today. And uh, has did he express any support for either one of those guys? But I don't know about that. I know that he is putting his support behind Scalise now. And what does Scalise say? I want to thank my House Republican colleagues for designating me as a speaker. We have a lot of work to do. That's a lot. There's a lot of business to take care of. All right. Now, the biggest difference between Scalise and McCarthy is McCarthy was a Calif- is a California Republican. Just think about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> um, the other issue we have here is still the Republican caucus cannot get behind one person. They just can't do it. They don't know how to, to play the game that the Democrats play. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are declaring they will vote for Jim Jordan when the vote is called. Even though Jim Jordan's saying he's going to vote for Scalise. Chip Roy says he won't be voting for Scalise because he thinks it's happening too quickly. And the House vote was postponed until further notice. Max Miller and Thomas Massey are not sold on Scalise. Jordan is going to go with what the conference wants. That do, do we look at that as party seeking party unity? By putting off the vote, that means it's Scalise and Jordan, because if Jordan's going to act on uh, Scalise's behalf, they will get to work on the holdouts in order to get the House GOP to be as unified as possible. This is a unforced error on the part of the Republicans. Because all we're looking, I mean, Scalise was the House Majority Leader and the natural successor to the Speaker. So what what are we getting here? And Gates is fine with it. He got a lot of exposure and fundraising. Was there, was there something personal about Kevin McCarthy he didn't like? And does he see Scalise or as different as different different type of legislators? A lot of people, I mean, I, I, I've spoken, I've had the opportunity to speak to Mr. Scalise a couple of times. Uh, I have no problems with him. Guy's a pro Second Amendment guy, so I mean, there's some things I, I find a little unnerving that he does. But uh, anybody that can, any politician will look at you and say, "You're, I'm okay with you having a gun." That's that's a significant thing. So, there's that. 
Now, if he becomes Speaker, he gets the same thing McCarthy had. He, he had a narrow majority in the House, and there's no wiggle room. He has a Democrat-controlled White House and Senate, and that means there's not a lot of negotiating room there either, and a ticking clock on the continuing resolution that will have to be solved by November 17th. And due to the White House and the Senate being controlled by Democrats, that means another omnibus spending bill is more than likely. And then he becomes vilified for helping the leftist agenda. So what is Scalise going to do as Speaker that will be any different than what McCarthy has done? Well, he could shut down the government. Just shut it down. What could Jordan do as Speaker that would be different from what McCarthy would have done? I Listen, I, I am as frustrated by the federal government as anybody could possibly be. And I look at them as a failure. And thankfully, we live in a capitalist society that is capitalist enough to where sometimes it doesn't matter how bad our leaders are. We will. There's a way. There's a way out of it. That's the thing about, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, nothing has changed. If there was a Republican president and a Republican Senate, and the reason we weren't getting anywhere was because the Republican-held House would not hold the votes and not do things. Sort of like Paul Ryan. I, I could have seen Paul Ryan getting kicked out. I could have seen him getting kicked out. But he never got kicked out. And Paul Ryan, when he finally got handed the keys to legislative power as Speaker, when he finally had a president would, that would sign anything they sent forward, he just decided not to do it. He didn't like Trump. He was a never-Trumper then. Now he's a never-again Trumper. Okay. So instead of moving, the, it all comes down to their personal agenda. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. This is all about them playing in this game. In the House of Representatives, apparently, it's its own little world. And they do these things that the smaller people have to put up with. And uh, right now we got Republicans out there. The one, I, you know, if I were to get out there and challenge somebody's leadership, I'd be challenging for leadership. I wouldn't be getting out there just to depose them. Who do you think has been betrayed altogether by the U.S. government? This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.